Hello everyone and welcome to the second episode of Lodaco's Radio Economics. My name is Luca and I'm one of the founders of Lodaco, a consulting boutique specializing in providing strategic solutions to startups and SMEs and assisting entrepreneurs to achieve their business goals. My co-founder Andrea will be joining us later. In today's episode, Andrea is going to interview our special guest Kanesh from Kirkland and Ellis about how Brexit and COVID-19 have shaped the leverage financing ecosystem in the UK. I will let Andrea start conducting an interview with Kanesh. Kanesh, would you like to share with us what your job is about before beginning with the questions? Hi, it's, uh, so I'm Kanesh. I'm a lawyer at Kirkland and Ellis. Uh, and I specialize in the area of leverage finance. So I do work across the full spectrum of the capital structure. We do um, mainly debt finance, but we also look at debt-like instru- equity-like instruments as well. So uh, across, and we work with both uh, mainly private equity sponsors and uh, variety, and they always across a variety of creditors, be it private credit funds, as well as banks and syndicated deals as well. So uh, we basically see the full spectrum of, of credit transactions in the market. Thank you, Kanesh, for introducing you. And uh, I have a couple of questions for you. First of all, have this period decreased the number of deals in your sector of expertise? Yeah, I think, uh, thanks for that. And I think, I wouldn't say it's decreased the deal, the number of deals in our, in our sector or in the leverage finance sector, but it has much rather changed the types, the nature of transactions which we, which we are engaging in. So, I mean, pr- prior to this, you would always see a mix of, you know, portfolio financing work where you see existing portfolio companies or private equity sponsors trying to raise new capital for incremental acquisitions. And we would also see a, you know, a sizable amount of new money deals where, you know, sponsors try to raise financing to purchase new assets and there'll be a lot of primary issuances as a result of such new money transactions. But I think during this COVID period, what we have seen is we obviously we've seen a, a, a move towards um, preserving capital as well as raising incremental liquidity for the businesses. So obviously the shift has, has been you know less towards new money, but more towards um, preserving capital, raising liquidity, as well as consummating transactions which were already signed pre-COVID. And you know, some other portfolios, depending on the industry and sector they are, are mm-hmm. looking to right-size their capital structure as well. You know, some may be they they may you know change the type of um, the nature of the instrument as well, you know, like whether some of the debt needs to be tranched out or subordinated. So a lot of these considerations on how you right-size the capital structure in light of COVID. And obviously, you know, like this being an, an interruption. So I think a businesses are typically assessing what is the long-term impact of, of COVID on their capital structure. So to the extent uh, some of our clients feel that this is just temporary, then you know, a lot of the actions they're taking at this stage is just to tie them through this period and not so much to significantly alter the, the capital structure of, of their business. Thank you, Kanesh, for your answer. I have another question for you. Did you at your company knew how to react to this situation at the very beginning of the pandemic? I mean, did you already know how to react or you figured it out while happening? 
yeah, I think as a firm, obviously, a lot of the you know very senior partners, and you know we've got like we are we kind of lead the market in in this space, both in the debt finance and the restructuring space. So naturally, there's there's deep deep expertise, and you know people have experienced the twenty oh eight crisis as well. So you know naturally, I think when we started to see some kind of more broader disruption than what COVID initially played out to be, I think. We we all knew what were the right levers or the right kind of checklist points which us which a private equity sponsor、mm-hmm. should be thinking about because you know one would one would it was hard to at the at the very initial stage it was very hard to tell how broad an impact COVID was going to have and what people should be modeling for so I think we were able to、um, to kind of react very quickly to this and when the when the crisis started to play out. And we saw where the market was moving. I think we kind of got ahead of it and flagged all the risks which we feel the private equity sponsor needed to be considering. What were the more strategic considerations, and what would be the key negotiating points in you know different kind of a sensitivity analysis? You know, like you know in scenario A, B, C. You know, depending on how this plays out, you know what about the different kind of、uh, levers they could they could kind of press and what kind of、uh, Risk factors they had to consider at each of these stages. So, it was kind of like you know we had an action plan,、uh, which we were able to kind of very quickly put before the sponsors and give them a kind of a roadmap, at least from a legal perspective, which they you know which they could kind of use and and superimpose their own commercial considerations on it to see how they how they would navigate this、um, very、uh, interesting as well as.、Um, Difficult, I would say. Period. Of course. For many businesses. Yeah.、Uh, thank you, Kanish. I appreciate that. I appreciate your answer. And、um, related to this, I kind of came up with a question right now.、Um, do you think the the pandemic, the Brexit, which London is facing at the same time, basically,、uh, will affect the city as a financial center? I mean, what's your take on the long-term scenario for London, considering that、um, already some companies left the city? Yeah, I think.、Um, I mean, that's that's two is twofold, right? So, like, I think the first bit is that obviously there would be some there would be some degree of of disruption in the sense that the market disruption as well as.、Um, Some degree of, of perhaps migration to you know to to set up a headquarter that is European based, but I think fundamentally the short the short answer to your question would be I do not we do not foresee any significant disruption or any significant change to London's position as the as a as a financial center the leading financial center globally for a variety of reasons, but I'll just flag three reasons. I think the first. Principally, is the is the obviously the infrastructure and、uh, you know the very strong financial infrastructure, which is present here as well as the deep、um, kind of institutional you know support. So, for example,、uh, I think a very key point in a in a having a stable financial center is to have very predictable laws, as well as predictable enforcement of of contracts. And I think that is something、uh, England has kind of you know. Let the let the charge on in in many respects, and that's you know not going to change the the degree of contractual certainty, the cost, the you know the cost of enforcing a contract, 
all these make it very efficient for businesses to continue to you know kind of base their businesses and uh, have many of their financing contracts governed by english law so for for a variety of reasons you know the legal framework would always lean in favor of of a, of a transaction that is centered around london that's the first point i think the second point would be the talent pool as well i think uh strong international talent pool i do not just mean people who are english speaking but i think that one of the beauties of of london the talent pool you would find in london is that everybody is very cosmopolitan and you know most people speak a european language they are able to connect across cultures there is no barrier per se you know uh, and i think thirdly is obviously the um, kind of the road map and just sheer volume and experience of transactions and the ability to coordinate cross border so i think even if some domestic transactions might move to you know um luxembourg or, or you know some other creditor friendly trans- uh, jurisdictions you would find that anybody who needs to raise capital across the atlantic you know would you would always use london as kind of a base to bridge the continent you know to bridge the continent to you know to uh, the us market so anybody in the in europe who wants to kind of tap the euro the american market for for capital i think london will always have that strong spot in coordinating that as well as coordinating any kind of cross border financing activity so i think that 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 point it uh does not brexit in itself does not really affect you know that that uh, third point which i've just made you know like london's ability to coordinate cross border transactions would always be uh, i think the just the all these three factors together makes the architecture very very compelling such that uh, i do not foresee any any significant dislocation or disruption from brexit Okay. And uh, the coronavirus. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very, very much, Kanesh, for sharing your opinions and thoughts about that. And of course, thanks for being with us today. Yes. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you, Andrea and Kanesh, for this insightful interview. And thank you all for listening to our second episode of Radio Economics. Hope you like it. If you want to learn more about Lodaco, please visit our website, lodaco.co.uk, or send us an email. at info at lodaco.co.uk. Thank you very much. Until the next episode, goodbye.